and welcome to This Property Life podcast. I'm Caroline Claydon and I'm a property investor and trainer and each week my friends and I will be speaking to a very special guest about their property adventures. This week I'm talking to Jerry Alexander who started in residential property investing over 20 odd years ago but is now well known as a commercial CMO expert maximizing profit in commercial spaces. Jerry talks candidly about the lessons he's learned, some the hard way over the years, and strategies and opportunities he sees in the current commercial property market. He's an incredible experience in sourcing, structuring, and financing property deals in the commercial market space. So I know you're really going to enjoy this episode. Let's now all hear from Jerry. So we are joined today uh, by Jerry Alexander, who I met many moons ago, about 13 years ago now, Jerry, at, at a least, training. Yeah. So thank you very much for, for giving your time up to be with us uh, today. You've got a fascinating story um, and fascinating um strategy within property so we'd love to hear more about that but maybe we could start off um a little about uh, talking about how you got into property in the first place how did that come about because you didn't come from your mother's loins a property investor how did <laughs> it all come about thanks caroline thanks for having me on the show um we've had par we've had like parallel universes running haven't we mm-hmm. in our property um adventures i i actually started about 20 years ago 20 21 years ago when we bought our first property that was an investment one rather than the one we lived in but prior to that i had in my childhood spent a bit of time with a friend's uncle during the summer when he was doing up properties and i think back to that and i think that was really the thing that got me interested in properties and funnily enough the other day i drove past a house that i went to with him and somebody was ripping all the insides out putting them out on the street and doing the whole thing again it made me feel quite old (laughs) but I think that's what inspired me and I've always wanted to do up old properties right so during my kind of career working earning money from other people I was always saving money to go on to that stage where I was going to start doing my own business now I wasn't specifically thinking to myself right I'm going to go do property investment commercial properties and HMOs and everything else all I knew was buy to let yeah, yeah, that's where most people start, isn't it? And that's yeah. the strategy that was kind of talked about and the only thing I knew about. But eventually I got started on that strategy in 20, in 2000. Okay. That was the first stab. So you did the traditional save save up for the deposit to buy it. it. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. Actually, there there is a – I did actually um, – I saved up the money. Rather than going doing a buy-to-let, I actually – went and bought a plot of land and built a house oh right yeah oh yeah yeah um which i thought was a great idea and it took me about two years after we'd finished the house to finally get it sold so it, it, it now it wasn't so empty i rented it out in fact i sold it to a tenant in the end right so rent to buy or something back in the day but basically i got out just with my shirt I didn't lose any money, but my goodness, it was a it was a fast learning in that one. <laughs> then, I bar- then I started buying some resis that I just did up and rented out. That was a bit more vanilla. And the other thing was that property was about eight hours away from where I live. <laughs> oh my word! So you basically did the opposite of everything that we were. Yeah, we- absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
I got all the learning out of the way right there. <laughs> well, at least you didn't lose any money, but I love that. You just went straight in with the plot of land. And I and I can imagine just knowing you, you probably were quite hands-on with that build. You know, getting well, I, 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 yes, but the problem, that's part of the problem, isn't it? It was eight hours away. It was yeah. over water to get there. Right. I'm not going to tell you where it was because I don't want to look completely stupid. <laughs> well, at least you're admitting it now. So yeah. the buy-to-lets, so after that little learning experience, then the buy-to-lets came along. And then how did that evolve? How, what was the time scales? What kind of strategy were you using? Was there any strategy? How did um, that well, it's, as you describe it, it was um, save up deposit, go and buy, refurb, etc. I did get some private money. Um, early on too, which helped. I, I hadn't thought of that as a thing, but I did manage to do that. And then during that, so we, we spoke off air there and we've spoken often about Robert Kiyosaki. So I, I came across the book. I also came across Richest Man in Babylon and those two really got me set on the right track. And then Russ Whitney had a book out. I can't remember the name of the book now, but those three books really got me started. And playing the cash flow game taught me that there's small deals yeah. Buy to let vanilla stuff to get your cash flow going to try yep. and create some money. But ultimately, how do you find big deals? And and I and so I was out in the world, not knowing anything, trying to work out, just knowing I need to find a big deal. I didn't have to, but just what's a big deal so I can get a bit of scale, right? Not just for ego, just what 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 can I do for scale? And it ended up being a commercial property. And it took me about two or three years to figure it out. Okay. But I ended up buying this commercial building, which, funnily enough, came through somebody I met playing cash flow, right? <laughs> and um, it was a commercial multi-let building. Okay. So I, I did that in 2004. Okay. And then over the next and, – and, and meanwhile, I'm running my own business and other bits and pieces. I, I was going to say on the sideline, but the property, I think, was on the sideline. And then about 2008, nine. We met, and at that point, I just had seen another property, and I had to get my commercial one revalued. Right. And the valuation came in just, it was insane. Because what happened was I was increasing the rent, because that was what I was doing this whole thing for, it was cash flow, right? So I was increasing the rent, doing up the building, getting new tenants in, all that sort of stuff. And the rent had gone up significantly, which was great, but I didn't realize how much it impacted the valuation. So I got the valuation done. Round about the time that we met in 2009 or wherever it was. And then actually pretty quickly after we met, I said, right, this is it. I'm going full time. So actually what I did was step back from the two businesses that I was involved in. My partner continued. I just threw myself into the property stuff. So and as it happened, commercial, that's basically what we centered on then. Brilliant. All right. So just explain to people this commercial multi-let so they might have heard of hmos house of multiple occupancy for you know a student house or something like that yeah how does that work in the commercial land break it down dumb it down for us um and okay. our listeners, if don't if you right. don't know what it is yes yeah, so um i mean i call it cmos commercial multiple occupancy it's it's the same thing really you've got a building one roof or two or three roofs whatever but effectively everybody's sharing the services they'll have their own unit potentially, depending on what type of building. And certainly that building we bought back then, there was, um, let me get this right, I think about 25 rooms, something like that. Units, workshops, whatever you want to call them. And over time, we've split some of those down, excuse me, to suit the market. And they're down to maybe 
um, one, two, five person spaces. And there's 35 in that building now. But of course, it's a bit like a gym where you and I, if we wanted a swimming pool, a full on weights room and all that sort of stuff, it, we're much better pooling resources and sharing the facility. And it's the same for that type of offer where everybody's contributing, but together you can have more. Yeah. So as our models developed, we now have buildings where there's not just the room and your key and an and entrance. There's maybe communal areas, obviously tea points and things like that, but also venue space, business lounges, things that people can use as a shared space, but it means that their actual workspace could be a bit smaller because they're sharing these bigger facilities. That's where our models develop to. A commercial multiple occupancy doesn't have to be like that, though. It just might be a row of industrials or three or four shops together. It's just where you've got the communal, I guess there's one management of the property overall, yep. which does help with things to do with building control and various other um, statutory things as well. And you are the investor, but also in our case, we're also the managing kind of agent, I guess, for that for that offer. So are you looking specifically then to, because it's, it's quite different to Resi in that we would look to buy a, a vacant building um, and then renovate it into an HMO, let's say. Whereas on the commercial side, you can actually buy with it partially rented out. So it's already generating some revenue. Yeah. What, what, what niche do you go into? Because, you know, you, you can really, I mean, look, there's so many strategies in sure. Resi. There's so many strategies in commercial how you know you 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 came across this cmo and then you just thought right this is this is it um what is it specifically that you find works works best for you so um i mean there's a lot of it's a lot of <laughs> a lot of questions and answers for that one caroline um well you're 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 part there about um the the having all the different tenants and mm-hmm. what what the partial income bit. So when you're looking for properties for this type of model, a great question to ask agents is, do you have any partial income producing properties? Because that means by default, there's some vacant space and an opportunity for you to add value, but equally there's an income you just mentioned. And over the time, we've only ever bought one building that's actually completely vacant. All the others have had some kind of income which helps with finance and helps with that sort of thing, but it gives us the opportunity to add value. One of the recent buildings we bought um, had a large portion of it, I say a large portion, 50% of it's let on reasonably long-term um, leases, five-year leases, yeah. which was giving an income, but there was um, 15,000 square feet of vacant space in this building. So a lot of the investors that I had looked at, and actually it was one of the few that we've bought on the market, and a lot of investors looked at it, and this 15,000 square foot was a real problem. What, what are we going to do with this? But for me, for my model, the 15,000 square foot was vacant. That was the best bit, because now I can add value. So when I first started in commercial, or at least sat on the outside looking at it, I thought what you did was you bought a shop, or you bought an industrial unit, and you parked your money. It was basically, what's the best yield I can get? Because I'm looking for passive income. I don't want to get my fingers dirty. And so what I thought was, I'll build up this residential portfolio, and then eventually I'll trade it in for a row of industrials I never have to go to, and I'll get a rent check every quarter. And that's what I thought commercial was like. 
Yeah. And for some it is, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But what I recognized when I had that revaluation done was that, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. I can really affect value and add lots of value, which is going to help accelerate the whole thing. I thought I had to do that over here in Resi, where I can try and add value, adding extensions, changing the format, hoping the market will rise. Or in commercial, I, just, I can really affect value. And I didn't realize it to start with. So finding a building with vacancy, that the vacant part is often heavily discounted because there's no income. And a lot of valuations are based on particularly if it's not underpinned by some kind of residential possibilities, which is which is a challenge at the moment. But if it's not underpinned by residential um, possibilities, then what you'll find is that that vacant part is really heavily discounted. In fact, sometimes it's almost ignored. And it gives you an opportunity, if you know how the market demand is, to create a product that people will rent and then in immediately increase the value of the property. And that was one of the big differences I didn't recognize when I started in this. But as that valuation thing came in, my light bulb moment, that's when I thought, hold on a minute, I really need to roll up my sleeves and get stuck in here. Because I've found a model yeah. that's going to allow me to really grow my pot where I thought I had to do that somewhere else. But interestingly, our specific model, our niche, also gives us an opportunity to take another piece of the kind of profit chain. Because if you think about it, there's... In, in commercial, there's that traditional thought, which is I'll be an investor. So it's an investment-grade property, I'll buy a yield. Then there's the other part, if you're buying one with a bit of opportunity, is that there's a development phase. Somebody goes in and does the development and makes a piece of money. Yeah. And then there's the person that manages it or operates it. So there's basically three pieces of this profit chain. Yeah. In fact, there's a fourth one called agents who want to charge you lots of money, of course, or professionals, right? And, and I'm not in there. But basically, we we invest, we develop ourselves. So we, we try and um, take that profit and, and at least reduce the cost, shall we say. And then we do the operations ourselves. So actually, we've got three bites of the cherry, which really means that um, our commercial is much more under our control. And also, we've got an opportunity to make... Um, more day-to-day -day income so that's basically where we're at brilliant okay so for our listeners who might be quite heavily um entrenched in residential property they'll be listening to this going wow okay so we can accelerate our growth um and increase our cash flow and obviously control and push the valuations of the commercial buildings up how do we even get started in it? Because it is like a different species, isn't it? Yeah. Completely different species. It's valued differently. It's financed differently. It could be structured differently. The tenancy agreements and the legals behind it are all different. How does someone even make that leap from resi to commercial? I mean, you did it, but it sounded like it was a bit accidental. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is a, it's a great question. And... Um, I think the first thing to get out there is it's not as hard as it looks, right? But also, there's no right and wrong here. I mean, some people make an absolute um, life, a fantastic income and life from residential and never go near commercial. It's not like there's a ladder and you must go and do commercial next. But it did, did suit some of, my, some of my needs. And also, there's just less competition. Yeah. But the part of the reason why there's less competition is when you're on the outside looking in, the industry is really good at making itself opaque. 
<laughs> and so you're looking and you're like, how does that work? And then nobody will tell you. Or you phone up an agent to go and look at a property and they never even return your call. Yeah. Or you email like- them and it's gone into the ether. Yeah. Um, and I mean, even just the other week, I went and did a, I, I contacted an agent about a building quite local to us. I've not been with this agent before, you see. So I contact them. I, they don't know who I am. So, you know, ego wise, they don't even know who I am. Right. So I contact this agent, got a really curt email back just saying, yeah, um, you can go and view it. When do you want to go and view it? And so I'm like, uh, next week. So um, the, another email came back really curt just saying, yeah, if you go to the branch in um, Perth up the road, you'll get the keys. You can go and have a look yourself. Huh. So so I had to drive half an hour. Nothing wrong with that, right? But half an hour there to get the keys, back down again, half an hour, back up. So two hours, my time, to go and get the keys, to go and view property that they didn't turn up, didn't even send an underling to, right? And interestingly, after I did the viewing, put in an offer through my solicitor, the agent still never sent me an email to say, how did you get on? Still never sent me an email to say, you know, are you going to put in an offer? What's your thoughts? Nothing. Radio yeah. silence. Right. So, I mean, they, and you know, it's not, they're not all like that, but, the, yeah. but it's just a, a sy- symptomatic of this industry. It seems like you need to be on the inside to understand what's going on. But, you know, I think if you realize that early on, that actually it's just a game. Yeah. Nothing's personal. Part of the ego, don't worry about it. If they don't return your calls stuff, you can have a giggle about it. I mean, I, I I had a building where, in fact, no, I had an instance when I started that process of thinking, right, I need to go and look at stuff, and I'll maybe start looking at commercial. And the guy I was dealing with as an agent, we build up these relationships with and values and things, don't we, in residential. You get, get to know your area, you get to know your guys. So I went and spoke to him a couple of times said, look, um, I'm thinking about doing commercial. Can you set up a meet with your colleague who literally was in the room next door, right? Um, so I can maybe talk to them about commercial. And of course, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. And then one day I was in and the other guy was in the next door. So I just went in So and saw him. And and he said, well, look, there's um, there's about three or four guys locally, all guys, no girls, all guys that buy the commercial stuff. So if he comes on the market, in fact, before it goes on the market, these guys all see it. Yeah. So if it actually comes on the market, it's probably not that good a deal. So if I were you, Jerry, I'd stick to that residential thing because the commercial stuff's all sewn up. And that was my introduction, right? Yeah, I had this so, experience. It's crazy. It's mad, isn't it? But you just have to say that's part of the game. I understand that's the way it's going to be. And you've just got to try and get an understanding of how the market works. And the most important thing is just get in the swim. Go and start kicking tires. Go and start looking at properties. And just start your education. But I think the best way, going back to your original question, of actually getting started is just start small but thinking big. Yeah. Because you can you can learn it less expensively you can get the the, the the tires moving, you get a property and you can start the process. So you don't have to go out there and find the best property in the world or just go home. You can just find something to get started. Then you can find tuning and get better and better at it. I think part of the other challenge is people feel you need loads of money to get into commercial. Okay. And I have found that that's not always the case actually. And if you've got an abundance mentality and you recognize, and I know you teach us a lot, if you recognize that finance doesn't have to be from 
the bank down the street, it can be from private individuals and everyone else, then opportunity starts showing itself in much more, much more different ways. And commercial can give you um, real opportunity to be creative. I think that's one of the best things about the commercial property market is that you are not your price and your value and your offer is not dictated by what's happening next door. Whereas in yeah. commercial, sorry, in resi, if you buy a, a, a house in a terrace row, all the yeah. valuers are going to look at um, comparables, aren't they? So the one next door sold for ten, you know, hundred grand last month, and the one before sold for ninety nine. Right, yours is maybe worth one hundred and one. Okay, yeah. I know you've put gold plating on everything, yeah. and it looks the bee's knees, but the most you're going to get there is 105. Whereas in commercial, you can have a building that's almost identical next to another one, and the one that's got a good tenant in, a good income, might be worth two or three times the one next door that has no tenant. I mean, it's crazy, but that's how that's how this thing works. Yeah. So your opportunity to create value, which is all about income, um is limited by how much creativity you've got so it's really i mean it's really exciting what you can do yeah but you've you've just gotta you've gotta understand that all you've learned in resi does actually help you're not starting starting from scratch and having to get in here and do um do the whole learning process again a lot of it does apply and a lot of the strategies are the same my strategy with cmo is the same hmo yeah. Um, you can do rent to rent i've done some of that you can do buy to let i mean there are all those strategies work here too yeah, I love it. And I, I get excited about it because of the the, the scalability of it. Um, and I, I can completely relate to you about the the agents. They are, they are really different. Like we arranged this um, meeting with an agent who I actually went to school with. <laughs> he was uh, a couple of years younger than me, knew my brother. And he basically sat back in the chair and, and said, like, prove to me that you're serious about it. Like, why do you want to yes. get into it? And it was like an interview. Like I, he was basically checking out how serious we were about it. And I'm like, wow, this is weird. This is a bit different. Do you know what I found though about agents, right? My, my theory, right, may not be correct, but my theory is a lot of the guys and girls that are in their 40s, maybe even a bit older, have been in the game long enough. They've built up their network yep. of investors and yep. they've built up their network of landlords. And quite frankly, they don't need you. Yeah. And they don't need me because they've got a comfy lifestyle. They do their deals with all their buddies. They play golf. And actually, why do they need you? They don't. So just get over yourself and try yeah. and find a way of getting in. <laughs> and if it's not with them, go and find an agent who's hungry. I think yeah. that's one of the things that people get a wee bit frustrated with, with, particularly if it's a small market they're looking at, with the one or two agents. If you can't get in, go and try somewhere else. Because yeah. finding somebody who's hungry to grow, I think, that, that really yeah. helps because then the two of you can work together. But yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Do you qualify? Do you qualify? Yeah. I know. It's like, bring my CV. <laughs> um, all right. So we can't have a conversation about property without talking about the current market yes. conditions. Uh, where do you see the big opportunities um, in the current market? And then we'll talk about the challenges later. But the big opportunities right now, what are you most excited about at the so, moment? Well, last last time round in two thousand and nine and ten and eleven, as it as it moved on after the financial crisis, one of the things that really worked well was, believe it or not, exactly the market we're in: flexible offering. Because when people in their normal leases come to an end, they then get a period where they can renew. In England, I think there's there's a there's a 
a right there to do that, not necessarily in Scotland, but you could renew or go and change to another premises. And the problem is, of course, those leases don't all come to an end at once. They don't all come to an end in November or something like that. It, it's over a period of years. But what happens when there's a big change in the market, as there has been right now, when those leases come to an end, they have an opportunity to review. And a lot of them, when things are uncertain, will go into something more flexible rather than fixing on another 10-year or 15-year lease. So last time around, we found that we our inquiry numbers went up significantly. And going back to when we met, 2009, we bought another building that year. It was fairly unoccupied. It was 21,000 square foot building. And we ended up splitting it into about 55 units. And we just phased the redevelopment. And every time a bit was ready, we'd already had it pre-let because the market conditions had changed. There was lots of people looking for flexible offering. So that, that's the first thing. If you talk to agents right now, the market that's really hot is industrial, which is fab, right? So we're all like, all right, industrial, I can understand. I can see the underlying reasons for it with, with how things are changing in both in terms of market, in terms of um, you know um, the last point of delivery, all these sorts of different things that are going on in that market. But you know, if we were looking back on this or we're looking totally from the outside, people would say, well, everybody's running into industrial right now. And everyone is running away from retail. Yeah. Right. So where's the opportunity? Yeah. Well, it depends on what your strategy is and what, not, not your strategy, sorry, what the outcome is that you're trying to seek. So if you're seeking cash flow for passive income and you want to park your money, then industrial is your place. The problem is the yields can be sub 5%. I mean, it's crazy right now. But also, if you're looking more for development and opportunity to add value, then there's some other spaces that are really struggling right now. And, and just as an example, when you've got this a challenge in one sector and real opportunity in the other sector, is can you try and change this offer yeah. to suit this offer? So I know in the US, certainly some of the, the private, um, well, a lot of the market out there is really the same as us. Loads of industrials doing extremely well. But some of the out-of-town shopping centers aren't. Yeah. So what they're trying to do is find shopping centers that don't have a long lease left over, so they have to actually pay somebody to come out of a lease, and yeah. can they convert it into industrial or storage? So, you know, there are opportunities to do that sort of thing. It may or may not be something that we could all jump into because of the scale. But I yeah. do think with the high street struggling, where you've got units where, for instance, generally shops tend to have a smaller shop front and a deep floor yeah. plate quite difficult to use for something else yeah but actually there's quite a lot of demand for smaller units particularly from you know go local right yeah. but the challenge for these guys is well if i take on this huge long football pitch of a room how how do i pay the business rates how do i make this work when all i really want to do at the front end here is serve some coffee create a nice um lounge and sell my artwork for instance when i've got all this other stuff so it might be that you as an investor could say, well, I could create this space at the front that there's demand for, but the bit at the back, as long as there's access and the road network works, maybe I could offer that to that other market that's struggling right now, the storage yeah. market, the industrial market, because a lot of it is not industrial that we would maybe discuss in the past, which is somebody making something. Actually, it's not. It's just moving goods, storing goods, yeah. packing, shipping, all that sort of stuff. So there might be opportunity to 
solve a problem for the retail, but also solve a problem for the other sector or where the demand is. There's there's lots and lots of different opportunities, um, Caroline, because there's there's um, turbulence, and when there's turbulence, but it you know it, you got to be brave. I haven't gone and bought anything retail for a long time, uh, but I am definitely looking at that sector now with those with those eyes because everybody's running the other way. Yeah. Well, it's like Warren Buffett. When the masses are fearful, be greedy. <laughs> when yes. the masses are greedy, be fearful. And I think that's it. When when everyone's talking about a particular strategy, I always get a bit cautious about that. Um, so if everyone's buzz, 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 industrial, 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 you're right. Maybe we should be looking a little bit off-piste from that. Um, because I remember when service accommodation was the buzz in Resi, I thought, hmm, if everyone's taking their buy to let and then putting that onto short term let, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to go bigger with that. And that's where the, the hotel came uh, came from. So that's where the opportunities are, some of the opportunities that you're, you see uh, coming up, which is exciting. What are the challenges that you're just keeping half an eye on that you are uh, aware of that um, you're going to be considering um, over the next six to 12 months? So... Um trying to keep my head on 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 the question there fully but one one is definitely inflation yeah and how do we um mitigate possible risks with with inflation so one of those might be um if you're taking on a property and you've got a lease on it there's a, an existing lease and let's say you are more of a passive investor and you're buying a lease on an industrial building that has a 10 or a 15 year period left on it to run and there's no allowance in that lease for recalculating the, the rental. So let's just say the rental is £10,000 a year, simple number, right? And you buy it this year, and then inflation starts to bite. Yeah. Bearing in mind that the valuation is totally based on the income. Yeah. So if the income's ten grand now, in five years' time, it will still be ten grand. Yeah, the property will still be worth a hundred thousand. Now, if inflation is being up by five percent a year, that's having a significant impact on your position. Um, now, when you get out the end of that and the lease is finished, then you might be able to exit that lease. But you know, 10, 15 years of a reduced income where everything else has been going up. So that's one of the things to consider. The other one, of course, is being vested. You need to be invested as much as you can because of inflation. Um, another bit that has been good for us is that in, in residential, the pendulum is way over here for, for the tenant. I mean, yeah. the landlord, you know, the centers here, the landlord's over here. Well, the pendulum is way over here, right? And, yeah. and, and we think, you know, how can it keep going out there? And it does. Yeah. And then there's another nudge. And then there's another, yeah. I'm not going to make any political comments, but there's another push. And out it goes like, this thing's just going out and out. When is it ever going to start coming back for balance? Now, in, in commercial at the moment, the pendulum's much more balanced some would argue it may even be a little bit more towards the landlord. I think that, that, that that's definitely shifting. Yeah. So some of the bigger landlords who have 15, 20 years leases are nervous because when they're coming to an end, they're not renewing for that length of time. The market is changing. So you have to either accept that or, or at least, or, a bit, or, or even better, embrace the fact that it is going to be a more flexible offer yeah, that the tenants are looking for, 
And therefore, why are they going to take your one instead of somebody else's? Yeah. So on one side, that's a bit of a threat. But on the other side is it gives you an opportunity to stand out from the other guy. And, and one of those, one of the ways of doing that is just buying smart because I, I've bought buildings where they are a tenth of the cost per square foot than the building that's been built next door. Yeah. And when the proverbial hits the fan and it comes to price, because sometimes it does come down to price because the pie is shrinking, you know, the number of people looking for space is shrinking, but they're still looking. Yeah. It can come down to price. Now, if you've spent £1,500 a square foot on building a place and the guy next door has bought it for £150 a square foot, I don't need to tell you anymore, right? So it's things like that. It's just being prepared for those kind of fluctuations. I mean, I love old buildings. I say old. Existing ones rather than building new. Because yeah. it, does, it gives you that opportunity to recalculate the kind of base value. Yeah. Um, so these are some of the things. Being flexible, the inflation thing, definitely. Yes, there's issues with raising money at the moment, but the money guys, the more traditional guys, they're looking for loan to value. They're looking for your knowledge. And yeah. the one that they're always talking to me about is the, um, the ability to pay the money back. So what's the serviceability on the loan? In other words, if this all goes to hell in the basket and you can't rent this out to anybody, can you still pay for it? Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's just, those are the things, but you know, it's turbulence, isn't it? I mean, it's opportunity yeah. right there. Yeah. I love when it's, it's chaotic because it does keep the masses fearful and they don't do anything. Whereas that's where the real opportunity really lies for the yes. people who are bold and brave with, of course, being Scottish, we're bold and brave, right? Okay, so we can't have a conversation without talking about um, education. You've talked about, you know, your first deal being a land development and taking <coughs> years and years and years to sell it all that fun stuff you learn one way or another but we met on a property training course our our paths kind of went off in different directions and then we met again on a, a mastermind like 13 years later so um talk me through where you sit on property education because it's quite a hot topic eh? people get quite emotive it, don't they generally it's the ones that haven't done the the education that get quite hot headed about it but talk me through your your take on it so i'm i'm kind of i wouldn't say unique right but i have got a different background on it right so you and i both met on a on a training i'd read quite a lot of books and i continue to read books there wasn't any podcasts and things around at the time and you you invested and went you went all in right and i didn't so it's actually quite a good kind of example isn't it right perfect and, and i and i did go off and do something a wee bit different i guess because i went off and, and really focused in on commercial and could see what was going on with 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 both our model and what was happening in the marketplace and i can now look back and say well you know i didn't take any training what do i feel about that and i know from because I I now train some people right on commercial, so I do spend a bit of time mentoring and, and doing masterminds and stuff, helping people move from resi into commercial. So I get that kind of unique experience of, of seeing it from the other side. And I have to say, not doing the education held me back a huge amount. Now, I I didn't know that, I, no. I this is only in hindsight, but yeah. 
I can I can tell you now, if I knew more about how to raise finance, if I knew more about how to um, look at deals it with with more perspective about the overall market, I, I the thing that held me back the most is myself, mm. right? And the only way you can change yourself is number one being self-aware right so actually making a decision right hold on a minute what i know and have got me to where i am is going to maybe help me get further on but at the pace i'm going at right now so if i want to change that i have to change what's going on in here and me personally i find the only way you can do that is or the most effective way of doing that is surrounding yourself with people that are further ahead and are going to push you because the thing is Context, one of my favorite words, context is all about or or the influence of context on you um, is only about as much as you are understanding it. So let's just take an example. Say um, you're, you're just starting out and your group of friends are buying one house a year because they've worked out if I buy one a year in 10 years, I'm going to have 10. And that might mean I'm getting three grand a month income and I can maybe leave my job, right? And there's nothing wrong with that, okay? They've got a strategy. They've worked out a way of doing it. That's what they're going to do. Ten years, long bleeding time, right? But ten years. But down the same bloody hotel, there's another meeting going on and everybody in there has worked out, if I buy 50 in the next um, five years, then I'm not only going to change my life, I'm going to be able to influence what's happening in my kids' lives and I'm going to, it's going to have a real impact. Yeah. And that's basically 10 a year. Yeah, I should be able to do that. And because everybody else in the room is also delusional enough to think they can do, right? Now, yeah. they need somebody there who's done it to support yeah. them. But the point is that the expectation from one group is set by everything that's going on around them, all right? And the expectation in the other room is set by everybody that's going around them. And you just have to be strong enough to say to yourself, I need to get in the right bloody room. Yeah. Because that whole conditioning is yeah. going to completely affect what's going on in my head. So back when I started out without necessarily doing the education route, I now look back and recognize the conditioning for me was everything that was going on around about me that wasn't really anything about success in property. Yeah. So it took me a long – I've been doing this for over 20 years, Carolyn, right? So it's taken me a long time to get to a point where we've got really good momentum and I recognized if I'd put myself in rooms with people much earlier on who were further ahead, my, my journey might have been quite different. Yeah, yeah. Hindsight that's is... That's my view on the education thing. Yeah, I, look, I, and that's it. When people don't really believe me when I say you pay for your education one way or another. You either pay for it in time yeah. <laughs> and mistakes maybe that can be costly or, or, you, or you pay, like you say, you pay to get in a network or pay to be trained by people that are further on. Um, by, you know, it's interesting. I started to play tennis again after like 20 years. And um, I played to a reasonable standard as a, as, a, as a younger lady. And then I got injured. And so I, you know, I, I was told I couldn't compete. And so I, I just stopped. Um, but I've decided in my midlife crisis, I'm going to start again. <laughs> and uh, I'm really, really enjoying being back. And, you know, watching Andy Murray playing with his metal hip and having yeah. been at Wimbledon for so long. And then my husband's like, oh, cool, I'll get some tennis lessons and we can play together. And I'm like, no, 
we'll never play together because I know <laughs> you can't play tennis. I only want to play tennis with people who are really, really good so it can bring my game on and accelerate my improvement, right? My comeback. That's what he's thinking, you selfish person. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't get it, right? You have to, you have to be quite careful about yes. who you are spending your time with and be quite selfish about that so that yeah. you improve and stuff, right? So yeah. it happens in lots of other areas as well. Okay, so that's a, that's a great um, share because I think that will help a lot of people who are maybe in two minds about it. And we have been around for, you know, 20 odd years. We've yeah. seen a lot. Um, so if you were to, of the people that you've seen and helped um, and that you know are in the industry, what kind of um, characteristics do you see are the ones that um, succeed and really, really do well? What What is it about them? Because it's not necessarily about money. It's not necessarily about right place, right time or any of that stuff. What is it that you think that really kind of marks someone out that's going to make it? So there's a couple of different types of people that I've seen do well. One are those that allow themselves to be a little bit naive. <laughs> and what I mean by that is they, they're, they're not preconditioned about all their, um, they've not got loads of baggage about, oh no, this works this way and that works that way and I've done it that way and they've got a big ego. They're willing to just park that. Yeah. Once they've worked out the right conditioning, right, this is where I need to be because these guys really have actually done it. Right, just park all that stuff. Yeah. And I'm going to listen and just go and do what you say. Now, I'm not telling people just to go out there and find anybody to go and do that with. Um, you need to find the right person. You need to do your research and all that stuff. But once they've done their research and worked out where they should be, then it's just parking everything and just go and do. Yeah. And sometimes, um, particularly people who are a bit older, and unfortunately I'm in that group now, I think, that that you, know, you, you maybe spend a bit of time analysing it. You spend too much time talking about it. You spend too much time thinking about why it can't work or at least why it wouldn't work for you rather than just parking all that crap and getting on with it. Yeah. So that's one of the things I've noticed. And, and it's, it's really interesting because I've come across quite a number of students that work with you over the years. And you can just tell. <laughs> you can just tell within a few minutes of conversation. And it's that positivity. It's that um, confidence, I guess, but not in a in a in a overt way just a quiet confidence in themselves they've learned they've spent time getting educated and then they've just gone and done it yeah. and it, it's interesting I had a clubhouse discussion the other day and somebody came on the call who was not in commercial property but they were just just about to get started they had to get another building for their business and what I found really interesting was that this girl was just like she was she, she was ignored it was like nobody had told her um, it's, it's difficult. And she was just out talking to landlords, talking to tenants, finding properties, and all this off-market stuff was coming to her. It wasn't coming to her. She was out finding it, right? But it yeah. was like she just parked everything else and was just getting on with it. And I just find that so refreshing. And I think when people allow themselves to hold themselves back through all these different questioning yeah. and all that stuff, it's just, yeah. just find the right person. Yes, do all the questioning to find the right person to work with. But once you've found them, just go and do what they say. The other aspect, I think, is um, is people who have a hunger. Yeah. So it might be that 
those you, you will come across some people that, that that take on training, they do a little bit, but actually they're quite comfy. Yeah. And you have to either be uncomfy or make yourself uncomfy so that you can push yourself to that next level. Because the thing about commercial is often people's route into commercial is through residential. So they've got experience and they may well be doing well with it, but there needs to be some frustration. There needs to be some kind of thing they're trying to get to. And if they don't, then they'll just amble on. So that's the two things really. Be, Be teachable and make sure you've got hunger. And if you haven't got one, try and create one because that's what will push you through all the crap when it starts happening. Yeah, and, and it will happen. And, you know, yeah. even with us being in, in the industry for as long as we have, there, it's never easy. And I think people expect, well, it, it's got to get easy at some point. No, what happens is you just become really resilient to dealing with all the crap that comes your way. Bigger, bigger problems, that's it. <laughs> the challenge is you're just like, yeah, 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 I dealt with that before, I love that. or I know someone that's dealt with that. And you, you're just solution-orientated. It never gets easy that's just not not part of the game, right? It's not it's yeah. not too easy. It's about to be equipped to deal with any of the yes. challenges. Exactly. Yeah, and, and be able to sorry, and just to be able to say to yourself, you know, this is just another one of those things, you know. <laughs> part of the game. Yeah. It's all part yeah. of the game. Well, Jerry, it's been amazing talking to you today. I know that our listeners will have loved the content that you've shared with us because it's it's so refreshing and new and different and a new niche and maybe something that people haven't even thought of before and gone, oh, yeah, retail. And actually, there's one on my high street that's been sitting empty yeah. for ages. Maybe I could slice and dice and isn't, that. Isn't anybody ever going to do anything with that? We had one of those in our high street. You go past it like everybody else say, aren't they going to do anything with that? Well, maybe you should. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> take that opportunity brilliant well thank you so much for your time um how do you thank you you, i know you're i know you're part of our property well system community facebook group that's which is great how else can people uh hear a little bit more of jerry alexander yeah, so, I mean, you mentioned the group there. If anybody wants to ask any questions, yeah, just park them in there and I'll, I'll jump on them and, and um, contribute where I can. I do have my own podcast, the Commercial Property Investor Podcast. If you just search that up, Property, sorry, Commercial Property Investor Podcast, I'm sure it'll pop up on your, on your platform. And on there, I share lots of different stories and interviews. Caroline kindly did an interview recently as well, which will be coming out soon. So um, those are the two places, I guess. You'll find me on Facebook, of course, and LinkedIn and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've got show notes, Caroline. We can maybe put a couple of links in for people if they want to find me. Absolutely. But usual places. Yeah, Just I look love for Jerry Alexander. Yeah. Jerry, Jerry's podcast, I can highly recommend. I've certainly um, learned loads from you interviewing people that do different niches to you, right? Yeah. Building industrial sheds was fascinating. I love that one. Um, someone who um, builds and owns um, the big um, retail units that uh, he rents out. Um, that was a great episode as well. So yeah, highly recommend listening to the Commercial Property Investor podcast uh, by Jerry and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. Have Thanks, Carly. See you later. 
I'm sure you agree that that was a brilliant episode from Jerry, sharing how methodical and measured his approach to property is. I love how a chance meeting 13 years ago with them um, has led us to reconnect again, having followed completely different paths in our investing journeys. I continue to learn so much from Jerry and delighted he's part of the Property Wealth System community. Check out his podcast too, Commercial Property Investors, and connect with him on our Facebook community. Till next time, take care and look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you.